when it's time to go. Part of the motivation for me to, to preach on this passage is uh, just reflecting on the, the life of, of Billy Graham and all of that and how God uses his servants. Yes, it is time for our kids to leave us for Kids Church. I forgot all about it. I'm sorry. Do forgive me as I'm trying to get my mind back into gear here in, in Australia. The passage that we are looking at this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 34. And it is the last chapter not only of Deuteronomy, but the last chapter of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the five books of the law written by Moses. Moses wrote all of them under the power of the Holy Spirit except these last few words as they describe the end of his life on earth. And what a remarkable life it had been. And Moses' life has been divided into three neat thirds, I suppose. He spent 40 years as the crown prince of Egypt, 40 years as a humble shepherd in the wilderness and 40 years leading the children of Israel to their destiny, the promised land. The first two-thirds, the first 80 years of his life were a preparation for the last 40. That is a long school, long training. Someone said 40 years, Moses thought he was a somebody as a prince in Egypt. The next 40 years he discovered he was nobody as a wandering shepherd. And the last 40 years he realised that God could use a nobody. So Moses first resisted God's call. The burning bush, he said, please send someone else, Lord, I can't do this. I think I've repeated the same words many times. But eventually he let God prepare him for the challenge that was ahead. There was nothing really that, if God calls you, there's nothing really you could do except obey the Lord, surrender to his will. Jonah found out the hard way what happens when you resist the work of God. Yes, I... I was at uh, Joppa and all of that and some of those places where God called his, his people and Peter and all of that. More about that later on. I can sort of wonder, however, as Moses comes to the last day of his life, what it must have been like for Moses, especially with the knowledge that it was, this is it. Did he sleep well that night? Did he get up early before sunrise in order to get one last glimpse of the first rays of the sun coming up on the horizon? Did he reflect on the last 120 years of a full, devoted life? He might have thought about the first time his parents told him the story about the basket on the Nile 
the hand of God protecting him. He would think back about his life in a palace for the glory of Egypt. And we, this time we, we visited Egypt. There was a lot of glory there. There was also the anger that drove him to kill the Egyptian and then flee with nothing to the desert. A place where he would meet his, who would be his wife, have kids. We'll never forget the fear, the wonder, the awe as he stood there in a burning bush and God calling him. Moses would have been reflecting on all the wonderful miracles that continued that God used him to to perform through him. From birth to death in every circumstance he could see the hand of God upon his life even though he didn't acknowledge God in large chunks of it. He stood tall and strong. He was 120. 120. And he was tall and strong. And he tells us here that his strength had not waned and his eyes had not grown dim. He didn't need glasses. He was as strong as ever as he walked away from his tent to Mount Nebo where God told him to go. And now it is time to go. Now what are some of the things that if we were in Moses' situation and eventually the time will come when God will call us home, what are the, some of the things that we would reflect upon? What are the significant moments in our lives that would really stand out? Well, in verses 1 to 3, we see a vision of the future. Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah opposite Jericho and there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan to Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim, Manasseh, all of Judah as far as the, as far as the Mediterranean, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. At the end of his life, Moses gets to see what lies ahead. But looking out over the vast panorama of what must have been a crystal clear day, and it's a crystal clear day is, is uncommon in, in those parts, Moses could see the, the end result of all, all of his life's work, leading the children of Israel for all of those 40 years, right up to the edge of the promised land. And God tells him, this is the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and that we followed through in our series in in Genesis. These words are spoken by God in the present tense. He's finally arrived, well, almost, And as Moses stood at the summit of Mount Nebo, he looked westward, directly westward over the land. It's a very strategic spot that I'm going to show you. 
Um, and just to show you how symbolic this was, uh, the, the list of places that he, he follows that are, that are mentioned here are, are counterclockwise from the north to the south. It's tick, 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 tick. These are the places that God basically was showing him. Now, in this sweeping panorama, we see the promised land. So, I'm going to show you some pics now that I took. I took that one, but that, was, that pic is not particularly mine, but it's somebody else's. But it's the same pic that I took. Anyway, Mount Nebo, that's a sign there. Um, and that's the mountain looking at it front on, Mount Nebo. That's on the, Mount Nebo is on the other side of the Jordan, on the eastern side of the Jordan, what used to be known as what is today Jordan, the country of Jordan and used to be the territory of the Moabites and a little bit further up is the territory of the Ammonites. Now, a little bit of... Uh, who were the Moabites and Ammonites? Who was their uh, dad? Remember? In our series in Genesis? Come on. Lot? Very good. Lot! Um, and they were born in very oh, sort of sad circumstances, but nevertheless, and they were going to be enemies of the Israelites for many, many years to come. But this is what Mount Moab is, quite, quite imposing. Now, this is a video that I took on the top of Mount Nebo. So, right over there is uh, Amman, the capital of Jordan, and that is the, the Jordan Valley right there. And as, uh, as you look, that's the city of Jericho right at the bottom. And Jerusalem is about 45 kilometres on top of that hill over there because of the mist, you sort of struggle to see it, and the Mediterranean beyond that. That is the top, the blue bit that you can see over there is the top of the Dead Sea. This is the view that Moses would have had looking over the Promised Land. It was vast. It was enormous. It was, it was all that God had promised them. And this is the place where, wow, we finally arrived. But there was also some regrets that was going to have. We're going to get to that. One of the commentators makes a good point when he says that this was similar to a, a legal process where somebody who's about to take possession of a land or to buy it, uh, to take hold of it, would inspect it. It's like, a, like a, a legal process. A bit like viewing a property before you buy it. You just don't want to buy it online. You actually want to go and see it. Except that Moses would not be one to possess it. But it is a gracious act of God showing Moses where the future lied. He can see with his own eyes that it hasn't been a waste of time. You know, a lot of the times we, we sometimes wonder, is my life really, what was it all for? What was all that sacrifice? What was all, that, all those tears and, and all, that, all that time spent? All that, was it just a waste? And God sort of pulls, you know, pulls us back a bit and says, well, it hasn't been a waste. You're serving me. And I'm, every now and then he might show you something of what is ahead. 
not about you, it's about him. But having peered into the future does not mean that we are guaranteed that we personally are going to make it into the future. Some leaders are called to bring people out of the wilderness, out of slavery, out of the wilderness, but they don't get to see the promised land. They're bit players. Somebody sowed the seed, somebody watered, but ultimately it's God who gives the growth. It might be our children or even our grandchildren who get to cross the river into the promised land. What do you see in the future? Are you full of anticipation? Are you scared? Are you tired and it's been too long? You simply want to go home? How do you see things around us? God works in every generation. Whether this is the last generation before the second coming, we don't know. But I can tell you that until he does come back or until he calls us home, our work is not finished. Our work is not finished. It has to continue. Some regrets. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross over into it. If you had come up to Moses any time during his 40 years of desert wanderings with God's people, and what was the thing that you think was on the top of his bucket list, he would have answered to finally get to the promised land. And as you read from Exodus to Deuteronomy, you get the feeling that of all the people that should have gone, that deserved to go into the promised land, it should have been Moses. But Moses wasn't allowed in. Personally, Paul Mosachuk would have been jumping up and down, protesting. That telling God that he isn't fair. And that I had earned my rights to go across. I deserve to get across, Lord. I have been faithful to you. Not perfect, just faithful. But Moses and Paul Mosachuk and hopefully you too have learned that it is futile to resist the Almighty Lord. Much easier to let him take the reins. Unlike Frank Sinatra who did it his way, Moses tried to do it God's way. Well, almost always, 
tried to do it God's way. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we're told why he would not be allowed in. God says to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 50 to 52, he says, There on the mountain that you have climbed you will die and be gathered to your people. When that expression happens, it happens in Genesis, it happens in Exodus, Deuteronomy, is gathered to your people means to your, to your family, to, your, to the people of God. Just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people, this is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites of the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I am giving to the people of Israel. What did Moses do that was so wrong? Being in the desert for 40 years, this dry desert, they had to depend on God for food, for water. And when they came to a place called Meribah, you guessed it, it was dry. And you guessed it, the Israelites started complaining. And you guessed it, they started blaming Moses. Why did you bring us here? We should have stayed in Egypt. Oh, the whinging, the whining. They demanded that Moses get water and they want it now. The episode happens in Numbers chapter 20. It says, the Lord said to Moses, take the staff, this is Moses, uh, Numbers 27 to 12, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. Listen to the instructions. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they can drink and their livestock and all of that. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels! I like that. Listen, you rebels. Would have been a note of anger. And, and, well, more than a note of anger. He, was, he had enough. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring water to you out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I have given them. It appears that this one action Moses, it appears that Moses' temper flared and who can blame him after 40 years of incessant whinging. But this time, it's a red card offence. 
It doesn't matter, you're on the soccer field, whatever sport you play, and you've had a wonderful game, you know, and, and your record as a player is clean and everything else, and suddenly you just pull out, you know, one of those tackles that you just, you know, almost break somebody's leg, and the referee comes and says, red card, you're out. I said, why? What was so bad about this? It, it, it doesn't, it, it, you know, at first glance it doesn't seem all that bad. Well, speak, kid, what's the difference? He overstepped the bounds because instead of speaking to a rock, he struck it in anger and frustration. And instead of saying, God will bring forth this water for you, Instead of saying that, he said, must we bring you water out of this rock? You know when you get upset, when you get angry, it's, the focus is on the most important person in the world, not God, it's me, really. And you. It's, that's the frustration and anger and suddenly... God's glory starts to diminish at that moment. And Moses was taking credit for something that only God could do. God doesn't like that. He doesn't like it when his servants do it, that, done it and doesn't like it when we do it. And, and because of this slip-up, this almost one and only Offence, it was red carded. You're out of here. And as far as we know, this was the only bad mistake Moses had made in 40 years, and yet enough to render him disqualified. So it must have been this, this bitter sweet moment, isn't it? Because when we reflect upon our lives and everything we've done, Come on, you've got to look a little bit deeper and you say, man, I messed up so many times, eh? And there would have been that bittersweet moment for Moses. Thrilled at being able to, to see, to see the promised land. Yet a tinge of, maybe more than a tinge of regret and sadness in his heart knowing that was his own fault, his own sin, which led to being disqualified from the land. There are things that leaders do that render them disqualified from ministry, from serving God, from continuing in ministry and other things. Please continue to pray for one another. Continue to pray for your leaders, your ministry leaders, for your pastor, for the deacons, for the elders. Because so easily, you know, the, the me, I, we can suddenly, you know, Satan uses all these things to get at us and to lose focus on what is important. Well, it hardly seems fair in our eyes that God denied Moses the privilege. You have to, you and I have to come to the point that God is God 
And that is the end of the argument. It is the end of the matter. No further correspondence will be entered into. That's, that's it. God already told him beforehand of his penalty. So Moses, in a way, by the time he arrived here, was already prepared. How many times parents and grandparents, you know, in frustration, said or done things that we later regret, said things that have come out the wrong way. Are you living your life loaded, full of regrets and frustration at the inability of, of doing the things that you wanted to do that, you know, frustrated dreams and all that, but you can't? Or will you simply hand all these over to God and let him lead rather than doing things in your own strength, in your own wisdom? Let him lead. And finishing strong, verses 5 to 8, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Bethel, But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. When the time had come, when the task was over, Moses left centre stage, exited in a heartfelt, dignified and remarkable manner. In life, in death, God and servant Moses had come a long way. It was God there who bade him farewell and sent him off with a closed, glorious, private and unique burial. No fanfare, no sad music, no 21-gun salute, no parade, no gravestone, or crowd necessary. None of those things are necessary when God is present, is it? The last person Moses heard from was God. The last thing he saw was the land and the last assurance he received was the fulfilment of God's promise to his forefathers. When you come and think about it, folks, this is about as good as it gets, isn't it? You can only say, thank you, Lord. God buried Moses. God picked the spot, attended the funeral, gave the eulogy. God acts as the, the priest, the pastor, and the undertaker. All of those things. Spurgeon said of this moment, he said, as a mother takes her child and kisses it and then lays it down to sleep in its own bed, so did the Lord kiss the soul of Moses away to be with him forever and then he hid his body we know not where. On that spot, Mount Nebo, you guessed that there is a church. It's been there for, I don't know, 1,400 years or something. They've rebuilt it and all that. It's a holy site, just about every place along, you know, Israel and, and Jordan where 
significant places, there is a church. Now, more about that later, but um, I'm pretty sure they haven't found Moses' bones because that's the way God wanted it. You can imagine what would have put in. This is Moses' bone, by the way. Yeah, it would have been this holy site that, that you know, people would go and kiss the bone and throw stones at it and all that type of stuff. I don't know. God said, no, we're not going to have anything of that because I want the glory to come to me. When it's time to go, how do you want to go? Yes, I know some of you have already planned your funeral with your hymns, your passages, your choruses and all of that. Maybe you've written your own eulogy. It lived a wonderful life, was a wonderful man. And I love this phrase, he was always there for me, type of thing, you know? Um, And I want to play Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. (laughs) Don't, alright? And they say, it's not how you begin your life, it's how you end it. With dignity and grace. Finishing well, so that your legacy lives on. Turn with me to Luke chapter uh, chapter 9, verses 28 to 31. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendour talking with Jesus. And what did they speak about? They spoke about finishing well, about his departure. Because Elijah and Moses had something to say about that. Elijah finished in a blaze of glory. Elisha didn't want to let him go. But he went. Chariot of fire. Wow, that must have been something. And Moses, a little bit more circumspect, but God did everything. They spoke about his departure, encouraging, encouraging Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Saviour, encouraging him, strengthening him at a time of need because it was going to get really, really bad from here on because he was about to bring the fulfilment of the reason for the incarnation, for our salvation at Jerusalem. You see, Moses did get to the promised land, but a different type of promised land. Much better, much, much better than the promised land that lied on the other side of the Jordan. The earthly promised land never really lived up to its expectations because of human sin. And yet, here is the one, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, here Elijah and Moses, both of them, they are here encouraging him, here because Jesus is the only one who will lead you to the real promised land that God is preparing for you and for me. which human sin cannot tarnish, which is eternal, not temporal. 
his epitaph, verse 5. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said, verse 5. And Moses' epitaph, there is no tombstone, by the way, but let's just imagine it, it's there, was simple. It was not Moses, prince of Egypt. It was not Moses, loving father, devoted husband, loved by all. It was not Moses, when you say loved by all in an epitaph, I mean, you, that's, a big, that's a big call. That's a big call. If, if you put that on my tombstone, loved by all, then no, there's a lot of people that actually hated my guts. You know? Alright, so, yeah, let's keep it truthful, guys. Um, it was not Moses, shepherd in the wilderness. It was not Moses, spokesman for a nation. It was not Moses, miracle worker. It wasn't Moses, the prophet. It wasn't the Moses who saw God's glory. At the end of it all, the epitaph would have simply read, Moses, a servant of the Lord. That was it. That's true, isn't it? He wasn't perfect, but he was a servant of the Lord. A man without peer, a fitting tribute to the Bible. And 17 times in the scriptures, Moses is called a servant of the Lord. 17 times. This is enough for Moses. It should be more than enough for us. I heard uh, Franklin Graham uh, interviewed during this week and he said that his father, what do you want written on your, on your tomb? And Billy Graham responded and said, on the grave, simply the words, preacher. That's it. That's the words that he wants on his tombstone. Nothing more, nothing less. When it's time to go, how do you want to go? I hope you realise that by now that ultimately it's not really about how you go that matters too much but it's how we have lived our lives. What are the things that you want to be remembered for? The people, the people whose lives you have touched and influenced and pointed to Christ. We might not have too much to say about how and when we go because it can happen in the flesh. But we do have something to say how we live before it's time to go. And I hope that, like Moses, we can be faithful to the end until the day that Jesus calls us home. Amen. Let's sing our last song.